Welcome to Purpose House Church. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. All right. If you have a Bible, we're going to go into the Gospels, and we're going to jump, uh, we're going to end in uh, around Isaiah 66. And in just a few moments, um, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be needed in just a few moments. So I want to talk today about the power of prayer. How many believe that prayer is powerful? um, And if I lost you about the coffee and all that stuff, I'll get you back in just a moment. If you have uh, deep-rooted habits in your life or things in your life that refuse to move, then you probably need to understand the power of prayer. Maybe there's problems in your life that are like a mountain. You're facing some things that you don't think can ever move, or you have a challenge so great that it's like planting a seed where there seems to be no soil, then you need to understand the power of prayer, and you need to understand what God has to say about it. God says that your faith is actually enough to solve all of those problems. I certainly, as pastor, want you to have faith. I want you to have great faith. I want you to have exceeding great faith. And not just because I want to see mountains move in your life, but faith is also very pleasing to God. For the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so in when this session today where we talk about the power of prayer, you need to understand that when you pray, you have to have faith and you have to pray in faith. Now, as you read through the Bible, and a few years ago, I wrote an entire devotional called The Prayers of the Bible, and then just took 40 prayers out of the Bible, and you know, just for each situation of life, there is a prayer that is in the Bible. And as you go and you read through Genesis to Revelation, you'll find all kinds of different prayers that are there. There are long prayers, there are short prayers, and then there are three-word prayers. I think we can all do that one, Right. There's long prayers, there's short prayers, and then there's a three-word prayer. And I want just for the opening of this to turn your attention to one prayer in particular that the disciples made. And the prayer actually has profound significance. The prayer and the answer to that prayer impacted the lives of the disciples so much that that allowed them to be used by God mightily in doing his will, living out their purpose, and fulfilling the will of God for their lives. And through them, the disciples, God was able to carry out many miracles and wonders through them because of the answer to the question of their prayer that God gave them. Now, when they began to talk to Jesus in this prayer, they did not say to the Lord in their prayer, Lord, keep our faith burning. They did not say in their prayer, Lord, sustain our faith. Rather, they prayed three words, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And so it is necessary for us as believers to see growth in our faith. Our faith must be increased. How many of you know that after the service today, between now and the next time you come here, there are going to be a lot of things that are going to come against you that are going to want to decrease your faith. 
Everything that comes at you is to decrease your faith. The things you see, the things you hear, the things you experience, the things you feel, all of those things are meant to decrease your faith. So as believers, we must have an increase in our faith. The faith that I had when I first came here as pastor is not going to be sufficient for what I'm dealing with today. The faith that I had when Melissa and I first got married is not going to be sufficient for what Melissa and I are going to deal with tomorrow. We have to have a mature faith, an increasing faith, a growing faith. And so here they are, the disciples are saying, Lord, we don't need you to sustain our faith. We don't need you to even light our faith. We just need you, Lord, to increase our faith, to grow our faith. And in hearing stories and miracles and signs and wonders, as if everything else in life is meant to decrease your faith, hearing those types of stories is meant to increase your faith. Now, often when we hear a victory of somebody else, the enemy will twist somebody else's victory to remind you of a certain defeat in your own life. Let me give you an example of this. Let's say you are desiring a child and you've not yet had your victory, but somebody else has that victory. You must be careful that you don't violate the word where it says to rejoice with those who rejoice Because the enemy is twisting it around and saying, well, look, they got what you desire. How about you rejoice with them over the miracle that has happened in your life and not get twisted around that it decreases your faith. It should increase your faith that if it happened for them, then it can happen for me. If he can open up their womb, then he can open up my womb. If he healed them of cancer, he can heal me of cancer. Be careful that the enemy doesn't twist around God's miracles as defeat to you. So just a few months ago, one of the founding members of the church, and by founding member, they were here when the church started back in 1994. They were here when I got here, which means they've been around a season or three. They've seen some stuff in church. But the individual began to lose weight. Doctors were running some tests. They kept saying it was not cancer. It was not cancer. It was not cancer. And then there was going to be a surgery to fix another issue that was going on in the body per the doctors. And they got the individual on the table. And when he got on the table, he aspirated on the table. And then all of a sudden, things get really scary when that happens. You're pretty close to death at that moment. There's some real things going on. But yet they were still saying, it's not cancer. It's not cancer. It's not cancer. Ultimately, they were transferred from Marion over to Evansville, and the doctor tried to redo another procedure, couldn't get it done, went to do a different type of procedure, and gets into the body of this individual, and it is nothing but cancer. Now, we can argue about doctors in our area, but we really shouldn't subscribe to anything they say anyway, or any doctor for that matter, because we serve a different doctor. We have a great physician. And he's always on call and he's always right. And so certainly the news was devastating. The cancer all through there. The doctor felt like he may have gotten it all, wasn't sure. And so they went to go do a PET scam. And so on Wednesday night, right before church, um, let me back up to Sunday. Last Sunday during the worship service, 
there was just some, a move of the Holy Ghost that was happening. And if you, I offend you by saying Holy Ghost, pardon me, that's my King James Version mine. I'm going to say blessed instead of blessed too. So, but in that moment, there was just a move of the Holy Ghost. And men started to tra- tra- traverse from every area of this church to right about right here where Mr. Mark Vick is sitting again today. But last Sunday, we were sitting here with a doomsday report. But today, we sit here with a far different report. There is no cancer. That should increase your faith. So as loud as you can, I want you to give God praise and glory and honor for that miracle right now. Hallelujah. So if you're in this room right now and the doctor has said you're going to die, I'm telling you, you have a great physician that says you shall not die, but you shall live and declare the works of the Lord in your life. I love it. A few weeks ago, we were praying for one of the musicians and his wife, and they had been through some very tragic situations. They had been through, after the birth of their firstborn child, they had been through four pregnancies that did not come to their completion. And then we found out that they were pregnant for the fifth. And of course, when you see the enemy punching people and getting into their lives, it, it's devastating. But I like the fact that the number five is God's grace. And so we're pleased to announce to you they're going to have a brand new baby boy. And this one the enemy can't have. This one's going to be born. It's going to be anointed. And it's going to be a miraculous message to every other person that your womb may be barren right now. But you have a God whose grace is sufficient for you. I got got to get into my text messages. I got to get a number right. First, let me just say this one while I'm looking through my text messages. But Oscar Gordon sent me a text the other day and he said he had prayed the seven prayers, the seven days of prayer. And at the end of it, this in the last few weeks, God has answered a prayer that was completely impossible. That's what God can do and God is doing in people's lives. So I I got this text on Friday at 423. So I got your miracle on Wednesday. I'm not, I can't remember when Oscar texted me, but on Friday, I got this one. I just got my blood work back. My PSA was 25.6. It is now 1.8. And I'm believing that God's going to go ahead and take that 1.8 out and turn it completely around. And that cancer is going to be gone out of that body completely. Why? Because we're here to live and declare the works of the Lord. That should increase your faith. 
So I asked the team to make me a video. The video has no audio because you're the audio. We sang a song that the Lord is holy, that the Lord is holy. All nations cry holy. And I wanted just to change the words of that song and say, Purpose House sings you're holy. Why is he holy? Because he does great things. And so just for a moment, I want them to show this video. And remember, you're the soundtrack. It's not a worship team. It's not anybody else. You're the soundtrack. We need to make sure that it is noised abroad that Jesus is in this house, that Jesus is still a healer, that he's still a way maker, that he is still on the throne, and he is doing great things in people's lives. So just for a moment, I want us to pardon the noise. That's just the sound of freedom in this place. Come on, give him everything you got. We're tearing a roof off this place. And you know what happens when the roof gets tore off? People are walking out of healed and whole in Jesus' name. So by the authority of the word of God, I declare you healed and whole right now in Jesus' name. I declare your family healed and whole in Jesus' name. Blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, finances restored in Jesus' name. By the authority of the word of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, let it be so and done right now in Jesus' name. Your faith should be increased right now. Growing faith, maturing faith. In Jesus' name. Welcome to church. Well, I thought church was three songs and a five-minute sermonette. Nope, that's religion. Church is get out of the way and let Jesus have his way. Let him walk through the aisles and heal. Let him set free. Let him restore. Let him do whatever he wants to do. He's the one that bought the church. He's the one that paid for you. Praise the Lord. Now, if your faith is increased... Jesus said to them, when they said, Lord, increase our faith, Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and I think just a moment ago, we took your mustard seed faith and we turned it into a golden corral. <laughs> said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. I like that because water is often a type of the Holy Spirit. So you can take your problem and tell it to get up and be drowned in the water of the Holy Spirit. Go plant yourself in the water. And it will obey. It will obey. Now, the context of all of this can be taken from the preceding verses where they said, Lord, increase our faith. And it's interesting that they would ask the Lord to increase their faith in the context in which they're asking the question. In verses 3 and 4 of that same chapter, they said, uh, Jesus had said, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The disciples know, like we are thinking right now, that is humanly impossible to tell somebody, I forgive you, 
and they keep doing it, and then I forgive you. So the disciples had to ask the Lord, increase our faith because I don't want unforgiveness to block my faith. I don't want unforgiveness to block my miracle. I don't want anything to block what, what you're need, you're, I need the Lord to do in my life. So, Lord, increase my faith so that I don't allow unforgiveness to turn into bitterness. Then that discontentment turns into resentment. And all of a sudden, I'm missing out on the promises of God in my life because I can't forgive. So they said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, let's be honest. We're in church. How many of you need your faith increased to forgive some folks? If I could get both my feet up in the air, because there are times where I'm like, really? Now, I know y'all holier than me. But after a while, I'm like, that's a habit. But I still have to forgive them. And so that task being human and impossible, the Lord, they said, Lord, we need to have our faith increased. Now, there's another context then that could be derived from the book of Matthew when the apostles then went to try and cast out an evil spirit and they failed at their task. And so they asked Jesus, why can we not cast out this spirit? In Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 through 20, the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, well, because you have so little faith. I truly tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain. Now, he was, once he was talking about a mulberry tree. Now he's saying, now you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. So the disciples were, could have prayed this prayer in that context saying, okay, Lord, if we're not able to do it, then Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. So the, re- the disciples recognized that they did not have strong enough faith or the strong faith that was required to take the next step of obedience in their lives. They needed more faith. And I heard uh, Papa Ellis a little bit ago tell all of you, you need to go back to the last word that God spoke to you. But can I just add a little caveat to that as pastor? Sometimes we don't want to take the next step because we have not allowed our faith to grow enough to take that step. And sometimes your faith will not grow until you take the step. Because the waters didn't part until they stepped in. And some of you are waiting for this rush of the Holy Ghost before you ever go lay hands on people. But the word already said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So you need to go whether you feel it or not and watch your faith grow as you go. So we have to have faith to accomplish God's will. And that, that principle can be applied to many areas, if not all areas of our lives. As we grow in God's grace, your faith will need to increase. And some people have stopped following Jesus because they sense their inability to obey what the Lord has commanded. Well, you're never going to be able to do it in your own strength anyway. So you have to pray, Lord, increase our faith. If the apostles recognized this and had that conversation with the Lord, why do we feel like it's a weakness to tell the Lord, I don't think I can do that. So, Lord, I need you to increase my faith. Too many people quit instead of pray. We back up instead of going forward. We need the Lord to increase our faith. 
And maybe you're wondering why in the world I would ever preach this sermon, but I've been saying this to Melissa in private. I've been just expressing my pastoral frustrations to her that we have been in this place before as a church. We have come to this mountaintop before, but we haven't reached the peak quite yet. And often when we get to this place in this part of the mountain, in this revival, in this region, in this area, there seems to be when the enemy punches us, we want to back up off of that. And instead, we not need to back up off of it and give up any territory. Maybe we need to bow our knee and get on our face before the Lord and say, Lord, we're going to take the top of this mountain, but I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to back down, but Lord, I need you to increase my faith. I'm going to take this mountain. I'm going to take this for my family. I'm going to take this in the name of Jesus. But the enemy says, you don't have enough faith. Well, who do you turn to if you don't have enough faith? You turn to the giver of faith and say, Lord, increase my faith. So if you can't accomplish it on your own, pray. We are facing unprecedented times. If you don't know this, the other C word is trying to make its rare, its ugly head again. Well, of course, churches are finally catching their breath. Churches are finally getting their footing. And you be, you need to listen very clearly. We will not close down the only life-giving station. This is the only place where people can come and find rest for their weary souls. So we will not back up and we will not back down. We will not shut up and we will not shut down if you need hope this is the place for you lord increase our faith unprecedented times call for unprecedented people for an unprecedented god to unleash unprecedented faith by the prayer of faith it'll save the sick And if you want to be an unprecedented person, you need to start praying unprecedented prayers. And I truly believe there is a divine call to prayer. There is a divine call to the prayer of intercession and a divine call to the prayer of travail. When we begin to pray, we must pray in faith. And if you don't know how to do that, say, Lord, increase my faith. And I truly believe that this is the time for the church to pray. And not just to pray out of practice or to pray out of procedure. But to pray passionately with a pure heart. How many of you know the words that Peter quoted in Acts chapter 2 where he said, This is that that was spoken of by the prophet. About five people know that. This is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Joel also said some other things. In chapter 2, verse 12, he said, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. In the Old Testament days, people would tear their clothes as an outward sign of deep sorrow on the inside. But the Lord was saying through the prophet Joel, and I think it's a message for the church today, He's saying, listen, stop with your outward show. Your outward show doesn't change the inward reality of your heart. 
In other words, don't go through the outward motions of church and spirituality. He said, come before me with brokenness. And if you can't be broken before the Lord, the devil's going to break you. Verse 13, then he says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Now, when we talk about prayer, a few years ago, I did a topic on prayer, and somebody asked me to write a one-page dissertation on what it means to prayer, to simplify prayer. Because sometimes I think when we pray, we're used to hearing those words of prayer, but we don't think we can pray because we're comparing our prayer to somebody else. And that's the problem with the whole world and the whole church world is we're constantly in the comparison, which is a sin to compare. So when we talk about prayer, I'm not asking you to pray like me. I'm not asking you to pray like Melissa. I'm not asking you to pray like anybody. I just need you to pray. And you say, Lord, increase our faith. Three word prayer. But maybe we've heard about prayer, but maybe we are not as familiar with the words travail and intercession. We don't really use those in the church too much, mainly because we want to keep our composure in church. And when you start interceding and travailing, you don't have much composure. How many of you ladies would want the whole church present in the birthing room? Because you don't have much composure in a birthing room. You're exposed, you're, you're, and they're counting on other people to help you and make sure that they don't make fun of you, and they make sure that they're there to assist you. And when we get into the birthing position in the church, the church people shouldn't be making fun of one another when we're getting sloppy about what we're getting ready to do. And because, listen, you may not have a family problem, but I may have a family problem. And you may not even understand why I'm praying the way I'm praying, but I need to birth something through. I got to get down to business with the Lord. And you can make fun of the snot and the tears and rolling in the floor and crawling on my belly, but I got to do something because it's, listen, my family is in a desperate need of God to intervene. And I'm not, not going to go through a whole hum prayer. I'm going to get down to business and I'm going to touch the hem of his garment because I need virtue to flow from his body into my family. I've been dealing with this for 18 years. You haven't been dealing with what I've been dealing with. You may have it made, but I need a miracle. And I'm going to do everything I need to get my miracle. And that's when the church ought to turn into the husbands like at a Lamaze class. Come on, baby, push. Come on, baby, breathe. Come on, baby, you can do it. We need to get that way with our brothers and sisters when they are in that kind of a travail. I got to come back to that. Prayer. Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, Jesus said, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. He said, it is written. Where was it written? Well, it was written in Isaiah 56 and verse 7. He said, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar altar, because my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. So when we get down to praying, Praying is where we get our orders from God. I don't know if you know this or not, but I don't just get up and preach what I want to preach. I would love to do that. But I pray, and then God says, this is what you're going to say. 
And what I really love is when God tells me to do that, and then there are things that happen that confirm what the God has said for me to do. This is where we get in tune with God and how I know other people are praying is God is speaking to them and they're sending me emails and they're sending me texts and they're saying, Pastor, this is what the Lord is saying. And I'm like, yeah, baby, that's what exactly what the Lord is saying to me. And it confirms exactly what the Lord is saying, right? Because the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so in prayer, it's where we get the will of God. I don't know what to do. Get, Get down to pray. Do the will and to find out the will of God. It's prayers where we communicate with God. Prayer is where we learn about our destiny with God. Prayer is what connects us to the omnipotent God. Prayer is a part of the armor of God. It's part of the armor of God. It is the natural outfit for a Christian believer is prayer and the way in which we pray. This is going to shock some of you. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Let me read it to you, and I'm going to read it in its entirety in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 19. So you're all going to get your scripture reading in today. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor. Everybody say the whole armor. All right, do you believe you should put on part of the armor? Right, because the Bible says to put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How many of y'all believe all that right there? The whole armor of God. You got your armor? Here's the problem. That sentence doesn't end. It's a semicolon. It's a pause because we're going to put a thought to connect it. And then here's where he says, and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. I don't want the Holy Spirit. Well, then you don't have the whole armor of God on because you're going to be facing some things that you don't even know how to pray against. And the Bible says that the spirit would make intercession for us. And there's a whole lot of people that got helmets on and shields on. But if you're not able to pray in the spirit, then you're not fighting completely the way that you can fight. And if you'll get into the spirit, then you can begin to pray in the spirit and put the enemy to flight with the whole armor of God because if you don't take the sword and you don't pray all you're doing is standing there taking the shots and never giving them I don't know about you but I can't stand watching people fight and I'm like fight back you don't watch these crazy videos and people just like standing there, you know, and I've said this before. I grew up in South Bend. There's no such thing as a fair street fight, right? I'm going to kick you in places that mama said not to kick you. And I'm going to hit you in places. I'm going to gouge your eye out. And I watch these people just, they just cover up. I'm like, you ain't going to win a fight covering up. You ain't going to win a fight just standing there beating it. All right, you got your shot. And I turned my other cheek. Now it's my turn. Okay, enemy, you, 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 you mess with me on Monday, and, and you mess with me at lunch on Monday, and now it's my turn. I'm going to get down to business, and I'm going to start praying, and I don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit is going to come in between you and me, and the Spirit's going to make intercession, and you've been beating on me long enough, but I'm bringing in some reinforcements. The Holy Spirit is going to come in on my behalf, and it's going to intercede on my behalf. 
being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The whole armor of God. So prayer and praying in the spirit is standard issued apparel for Christians. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is a liberating scripture for me because Jesus encourages us. We can be short and concise in our prayers. See, because I used to fall prey to thinking that the longer I pray, the more articulate I prayed, the more big words I used when I prayed, the more impressed God would be in my prayers. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon said that God is in heaven and you on earth, so let your words be few. Let, Let me read it to you. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 through 3. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they, that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity. I love that line because there's all kinds of people that have dream. Well, eventually, you're going to have to put some action to that vision. A dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. And upon, see what happens to us often is we get into the house of the Lord and you can judge me if you like, but I've been around church a long time. The people that talk the most do the least. You know, man, if we just had Wednesday night church, well, we had one and you weren't here. Well, if we just had church on a Friday, we were here, we, you didn't come. Uh, well, if we just had church on Saturday, well, we had church on Saturday and I didn't see it. If we either have church, it, it, it'll never be enough because all you want to do is talk the game and not actually play the game. And you're the same people then that when, when something happens in your family, this is what we say. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. God, if you'll do this, I've stood at the heads of casket and listened to people say, Lord, if you'd have just healed my mama, I would have come back to church. And I'm like, he did heal your mama and you still ain't in church. Because it's just words, but not in the heart. This is why it's so important in the next verses down. It says, when you make a vow to God, Do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, and it is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was in an air. Well, I really didn't mean that. Then you shouldn't have said it. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity, but fear God. So many people come into church and they speak all these promises. And Solomon said, hey, be careful. Be careful that you don't say, Lord, I promise I'll do this and I'll never do that again and I won't do this. And then you not do it. Solomon said, be careful. It's better for you to not to vow at all than to vow and to not keep it. So how many of you have ever listened to your prayers? You ever just like try to have an out-of-body experience and listen to your prayers? I've done this a few times, and that's why I can preach about it. And I'm like, that was really silly of me to say that to the Lord. Let me, let me give you an answer. Uh, so I was like, you know, Lord, uh, I just pray right now for my wife, Melissa. And she, Lord, she has a, this need in her life. And I, and I just pray with, that you would. And I'm like, I think the Lord is pretty confident in who my wife is. 
I don't think I had to describe the family relational unit that I have because he's the one that gave me Melissa. And so I don't think I really need to say, <laughs> you know, Lord, you know Melissa, don't you? Like, I'm pretty sure he knows Melissa because they talk all the time too. I'm glad God has called waiting because that's the only way I can talk to God. I got to buzz in. I know you're talking to Melissa right now, but can I get a word in edgewise? You know Melissa, right? He's like, I know Melissa. And I'm like, you know, Lord, she has this need. And he's like, yeah, I know your needs before you even ask. And so much we take prayer and we turn it into trying to talk to God and convince God of our situation instead of just connecting with God. Anybody have anybody in your life that every time they call, they could care less about you? I'm going to try to walk very carefully to keep the guilty guilty. But I have people in my life that I, I don't even get the word hello out. And they just go like a, I mean, a freight train. And one time I was, I was like, I was trying to get out of my mouth. Hey, you're on speakerphone and Zoe's in the car. And they just went. And Zoe just took her headphones out and put them in. And I'm like, thank God for noise-canceling headphones because I wasn't getting a word in edgewise. There have been times with certain individuals I can hit mute, go take a shower and shave and change my clothes and come back out and then hit unmute and go, uh-huh, and hit mute again, go play nine holes of golf, come back around and hit mute, uh-huh. And then they just going and going and going. And not one time do they say, hey, how are you doing? How's your day going? Man, you look good yesterday. Boy, you didn't. None of that. And this is exactly what we do to God. We get in and God, we show up and the first thing, as soon as God's there, we're like, hey, whew. And not one time did we say, you know, Lord, I just wanted to thank you that you're holy and that you're good and that you're righteous and you're full of grace. And so we just do that. Now, listen, if my kids did this to me all the time, eventually I would stop taking their calls because it's not a conversation. It's an asking session. Can you do this? And can you do that? And can you do this? And can you do that? And can you do this? And can you do that? And I'm about five times of that, I'm like, I'm not going to talk to you because we're not even in relationship anymore. All I am is a billfold to you. I'm going to let that one just sit heavy for a moment. We need to not inform the Lord nor convince the Lord. We just need to connect with the Lord. Prayers should be marked by sincerity and simplicity. Sincerity, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, go in and close the door. Because your prayer is between you and God. Do it in secret sometimes. Simplicity. Don't use vain repetition. Get right down to the nitty-gritty and tell the Lord what you have on your mind. Right? Your father knows the things you have need of even before you ask him. So even though he already knows what we need, just sometimes we need to, after we've talked to him and he says, what do you need? And I'm like, well, you know, this would be helpful to me. Matthew chapter 6 and verses 8 through 13, he says, therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the most famous prayers, and people call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. 
It was the Lord teaching the disciples how to pray. And people say, but if I pray that, then am I guilty like the Pharisees of meaningless repetition? And my answer would be yes, if you're saying it without thinking. If you're saying it without really taking it to heart, who he is, that the kingdom is really his. Deliver us from the evil one. But the Bible does not forbid meaningful repetition. Jesus is not saying repetition in and of itself is wrong. Okay? Meaningless repetition is wrong, but meaningful repetition is not forbidden. And how would I know that? Well, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus made the same request of his father three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26 and verse 44, Matthew said, and he spake the same words yet again, the same words yet again. So there is such a thing as meaningful repetition. And I believe that if you don't even know how to pray, if you go back and pray the disciples' prayer that the Lord taught, and you pray it with a sincere heart, and you're really doing that, that is not meaningless repetition because that's what the Lord told us to pray, but it also comes down to the matter of your heart. So if you pray it word for word, this thing can be potent and it can be powerful if you pray it with an engaged mind and with a sensitive heart. And so we think... You don't have to pray these big prayers. You don't have to have flowery prayers. The strength of your prayer is not in direct proportion to the length of your prayer. Jesus went out of his, say, out of his way to say to some people, he said, you're not going to be heard for you. You're much speaking. Jesus, when he prayed, his prayers were complete and they were concise. And I would tell you that they're powerful. So if, if you ask the Lord to teach you to pray, you would think he's going to give me a 100-page book on how to pray. Here you go, teach you how to pray. He didn't. He taught them to pray by using 65 words. 65 words. And we've made it so complex. And Jesus said, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, all right, here's 65 words for you. This is how you pray. Our Father. When Jesus taught this prayer, it shocked those who were around him listening. Our Father? Abba, meaning Papa? Because these were people who were used to Old Testament times where God was addressed as Elohim, the strong one, El Shaddai, the mighty one, and Yahweh, the unspeakable word that meant I am that I am. But then Jesus said, when you pray, you don't need to call him the omnipotent one, El Shaddai, Elohim. You just say, Father, Papa. And they're thinking, well, I thought God didn't change. You're right. God didn't change, but we did. Because now we've been adopted into the family of God. And we once were not a people, but we are now a people. And so God didn't change. He is our father because we are now the sons of God. And so let me say this to you. When you say you are a sinner, you are eliminating yourself out of the family of God. You are not a sinner if you've been saved. You are a son of God. And you need to call him father. Which art in heaven. I tell you, God's not a prisoner to this universe. He is above it and he is beyond it. He's the one sitting upon the throne of the universe and he has it under his control. He said, hallowed be thy name. Correctly translated with word, let thy name be made holy. You know why I was so powerful in this place? We were saying this, holy. Let him be holy. The name above all names, his name is holy. Let thy name be made holy. And the name of God stands for God and all that God is and all that he can do. We need to make sure that he's holy. He said, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. This is the kingdom which Matthew was speaking about, the kingdom of Christ to be established on the earth. And this is a prayer that is worthy to be prayed. And it is a worthy declaration that we should do. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he said, give us this day our daily bread in verse 11. This prayer is a model for our own prayers. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, automatically, we're all thinking about the cheddar biscuits at Red Lobster. Give us this day. Maybe you don't think that way, but when you haven't had them for like five years, my mouth is finally water. It was dry as cotton just a few minutes ago, and I'm like, I'm getting to that point about daily bread. And then all of a sudden, I become like Pavlov's dogs and just, you know. Now, just, just notice this petition. Give us this day our daily bread. And this should come from our hearts with great enthusiasm. And it speaks to our total dependence on God. Our bodily wants, our physical necessities are all supplied by God day by day. Give us our daily bread. See, in the wilderness, Israel had to go out and gather manna for the day. They gathered nothing for the next day except when it became to the Sabbath day. So there was totally had to be a trust that every day that they went out there that God was going to provide for them. That's faith. I like to stock up on groceries. I want to make sure we got it. I want to make sure it's all there. But in this, we're going to have to trust that God is going to take care of us today. And when I get up in the morning, God is going to take care of me today. And when I get up on Tuesday, I'm not even praying yet for Tuesday. I'm just making sure that God is going to give me today what I need to face the day I'm in. He even told us, don't be worried about tomorrow. Just trust that I'm going to give you your daily bread. And we live totally dependent upon God. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know what is found in Christianity that is not found in any other religion? There was a question asked some years ago at a seminar. There were several prominent Christian theologians in the room. And this question was asked, what is found in Christianity that is not found in any other religion? And these prominent scholars were stumped. C.S. Lewis walked in and he said, you know what it is? It's the forgiveness of sin. The difference between Christianity and every other religion is the fact that you can be forgiven of your sin. Jesus could not have prayed this for himself, by the way. This is why it's the disciples' prayer, because Jesus had no sin to be forgiven of. This is a teaching moment from the Lord saying, you need to be forgiven. Then he sends, he say, or says these words, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lead us not into temptation doesn't mean that the Lord is leading us into that area. It means, Lord, don't leave us in temptation. Lead us out of the temptation. Get us out of the situation that we are in. Deliver us from evil. Deliverance from the evil one. Deliver us from the devil. And I don't know if you know this, but the devil is really on the prowl right now. And if there was ever a time that we needed deliverance from the evil one, it is in the hour in which we live right now. And people would ask me, well, what causes evil? I thought we served a good God. Well, the devil causes evil and our flesh causes evil. Unfettered flesh 
brings evil upon us. An unfettered flesh that brings evil causes suffering. Have you ever suffered at the hands of people? Have you ever suffered at the hands of the evil one? There's a solution to it. James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. If you're suffering at the hands of people or at the hands of the evil one, you are to pray. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. And now, the reason why we should pray is how many of you, when you suffer at the hands of people, you want to deal with the people? Y'all holier than me. (laughs) But we're violating the word because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality and power. There's something behind the people who are causing you to suffer. And we want to mix it up with them, and we want to get all into that. But listen, we need to make sure that we're wrestling the right things. And there's no way to continue to justify our tendency to fault people or to war against people with our words when James clearly tells us that the only solution to oppression and suffering is to pray and to look for the Lord's return. James chapter 5, verse 13, he said, cheerful, let him sing psalms. You know there's 150 psalms in the Bible, right? For every situation and for every occasion, you can find a psalm to read. Then, verse 14, he said, is any sick among you. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. So in verse 13, when people were afflicted and suffering, whether that be mental, spiritual, or emotional affliction, the responsibility of the afflicted or the suffering person was to pray. But here he says, if you are sick, it is not your duty to pray. Your duty is to call on the elders and have them pray. We need to get this right. If you're suffering, you need to pray. But if you are afflicted, you need to call on the elders of the church so that they can pray for you. Notice the word there, and elders is plural. Elders, plural, not the pastor. The elders, call upon them. And so what we often do is when we are afflicted, that's when we call on the elders. But when we're sick, we go into hiding. When we are afflicted and suffering, we should pray. And when we are sick, we should call on the elders. And here's what I hear all the time. Well, nobody come and pray for me. Did you call? Uh, nobody laid hands on me. Did you come forward? Because we say it every Sunday in this place. You know why we bring them up here in couples? Because it's plural, elders. Because we're two or three gathered together in my name. We're two or three agree on any one thing. He'll do that. It's plural. And your job is to call upon the elders and let them pray over you. Let me just pastor for a moment. We often teach here to ask, we ask, we ask the question, what can I come into agreement with you about? And you know what we usually hear? I have a migraine. So you want me to come into agreement with you that you have a migraine. No, I need to be healed. And the Lord knows you have a migraine. But we often want to reiterate exactly the pain that we're going through because that's the trick of the enemy is to us to reinforce what we're going through and not reinforce the goodness of God. It's getting quiet in this church house. So call on the elders. It's a privilege and an opportunity and a command for a sick person to humble himself and call for the elders and let them pray. And we are to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The anointing of oil is a type and an illustration of the Holy Spirit. So when we anoint you with oil, we're using this as a type. And oil was also used as, as a medicine 
So you could go to the story of the Good Samaritan. We're putting oil on you. That's why we anoint with oil. In James chapter 5, verse 15, in the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. So what is the prayer of faith? Now, listen, faith is not something you work up in a frenzy. It's not emotional. It's not hype. Faith is a calm assurance that the Lord is who he says he is. So if you come down front and some people get loud with you and that's how they pray, but somebody else is whispering in your ear, you cannot confuse style with an anointing. I want Pastor Jason to pray for me. No, you don't. Because my mind at the moment is not on praying for you. My mind at the moment is to make sure I don't say anything stupid. So my faith is in a different arena at the moment. My, my, my faith right now is that his word will not return void. But there are other people who are called in this house that have the gift of healing in their life. And you say, well, I don't know how they pray. But if they have a gift in their life, it doesn't matter how you unwrap the gift. The gift's still unwrapped. You can tear it open or you can take it piece by piece. The gift is still unwrapped. So go to the people in faith. If you've committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is verse 16, James chapter 5. And I mean, we're in a society right now where people have an obsession with confession. We're still confessing about things we did 30 years ago. Listen, if your sin is worthy to talk about more than the Lord, then you don't know the Lord. There's a lot of good things to talk about with the Lord. I don't need to walk around and talk about how bad my life is when 99 things in my life are going great. I don't need to pull out the minute thing that's going bad and say, the Lord must not love me. No, he really loves me. I've got 99 other things that are going amazing in my life. And it's my fault that I ran over the nail. And it's my fault that I didn't get gas. And it's my fault that I didn't do all that stuff. And we start blaming God. An obsession with confession. And there's people that think if we have any unconfessed sin in our lives, that God will not hear our prayer. But can I tell you that repentance is a prayer. So if God doesn't hear prayer, if there's unrepented sin in your life, then how can you get repentance? How can you get forgiveness? So I don't care what's going on in your life. You need to pray. We should be a people of God who pray without ceasing and pray in the spirit and believe that our prayers are powerful. Now, Let's talk a little bit more than just the standard issue prayer. Let's talk about the prayer of intercession. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2-4. through 4, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He said, I need you to intercede. Intercession means to assail anyone with petitions, to urge, and you're doing it on behalf of another. You're interceding, which means to come between. So I'm going to ask Pastor Michael and Pastor Aaron and Justin Yates if they'll come help me. I want to show you something here, and I'm going to give you something to think about for a moment. Now, when you see two people fighting, and I'm not talking about the world we live in now where we videotape it. I'm talking about a world where real men step in and say, you're not going to do that. And if one man's not enough to step in, you go get two or three other guys and you get in and you stop the assault on the person. So we're going to use Alabama football, Texas, 
and Georgia. Alabama being the weaker vessel, unfortunately, this weekend. Texas being the bully. And so Texas is beating up on Alabama. There's a war going on. And they just pounding him. And then, I mean, Texas was manhandling him, throwing him around, beating him into the ground, stomping on him, tearing up his logo, doing all kinds of things. And we can let this fight go on and let Texas keep beating up Alabama like crazy. Or we can send somebody who's bigger and stronger than both of them to break up the fight. And so we're going to send in Georgia, and Georgia's going to break up the fight and say, I don't care how big and bad either one of you are, we got to stop this right here and right now. And he stands in the middle and makes sure that the bully no longer picks on the person who can't defend themselves. He's saying, listen, you think you were fighting him, but I'm going to step in the middle, and you just wait to the playoffs, and we're going to knock you out. The bulldog is going to chase the longhorn. So this is what I'm saying. There are times in our life where we see a brother who is weaker in the moment and the enemy is coming around and he's saying I'm going to beat on my brother. Now the church is real good at saying see I knew that brother wasn't going to make it see I knew that brother was going to fall see I knew that but what about being the man of God and the person of God who gets in the middle of it and says you're not going to touch my brother anymore. He can't fight for himself and he can't defend himself I'm going to get right here in the middle of it and make sure that he can get his streak back because when he gets his streak back and he realizes out who he is and what he has been and what he has been all of his life he's a winner he's a multiple time winner he just has a little moment of failure but when my fall I shall arise and when I get up devil I'm going to take it back to you but you just needed somebody to get in the middle so you could catch your breath Thank you, gentlemen. Intercede on their behalf. If they cannot and they will not pray for themselves, then it is our duty to pray for them. Not talk about them and gossip about them and slander them. It is our job as the people of God to pray for them. We are commanded to pray for them. Isaiah 59 verse 16, he saw that there was no man. And wondered that there was no intercessor. So I said, if you're not going to do it, I'll send my own arm. And he brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. The Lord was looking at the situation of Israel and he's saying, why is no one? Why is no one interceding for them? And because no one would do it, he did it for himself. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, the Lord says the same thing. He said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and intercede, but I found none. In Israel's darkest days, no one in the darkest days of Israel said, I'm going to pray. I'll go to a political rally. I'll post about it on Facebook. I'll rip my president. I'll rip my governor. I'll make fun. I'll criticize everything, but are we praying? You think your vote's going to change it? Nope. Your prayer will change it. 
See, the church has got real good at doing this, man. We're just talking and we're just like the world. We're showing up and believing that the worldly mechanisms will change a worldly system. The only way you're going to change a worldly system is something's got to come in between what they're doing and what we're doing. And the go-between is Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ shows up in the middle of a fight, the fight is fixed, my friend. It's over. They were talking about the problems. They were aware of the problems, but they didn't do anything about the problems. So what should we be interceding for? Verse 6 of Isaiah 58, he said, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? So let it not be said a purpose house that when we as America were in our darkest days that we sat around and had a picnic about it, but we didn't pray, we didn't fast, and we didn't intercede for our nation in its darkest days. The church, we're the ones. This is the place, and right now is the time. If you believe in revival, you have to pray for revival. You need to pray that wickedness is broken off of people, that heavy burdens are undone, the oppressed are set free, and that every yoke of bondage is broken. So as a church, it's time to pray, to intercede. That's a prayer just a little bit beyond a prayer, to intercede. And then there is travail. In Scripture, there were eight barren women that were specifically named who were healed from barrenness. They all had several things in common. Number one, they were desperate. Number two, they cried out to the Lord. And then when the Lord opened their womb, each one brought forth either a prophet or a deliverer of the nation. Let me just, just for time's sake, list out these eight women. Number one was Sarah who brought forth Isaac. There was Rebecca who brought forth Esau and Jacob. There was Rachel who brought forth Joseph and Benjamin. There was Manoah's wife who brought forth Samson. Ruth who brought forth Obed. There was Hannah who brought forth Samuel. Then there was Elizabeth who brought forth John the Baptist. And the eighth one is not a physical woman as much as it is a bride. It's the church. We are the eighth woman. Eight being the number of new beginnings. And Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8 portrays this woman very vividly. It says, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? But as soon as Zion travails, she also brought forth her sons. Zion is the eighth barren woman. Zion is another name for parts of Jerusalem, but it is also a metaphor for God's people. And he said, if you want a nation to be birthed in one day, it will never happen until Zion, until the people of God begin to travail. And what is a travail? It is giving labor. It is pushing to create an opening. When a woman goes into labor, 
she is pushing to create an opening so that what is on the inside of her has an opening to get out under the outside. It isn't really in your arms until you have an opening and you can push it through. Now it's going to take some strength. It's going to take some muscle. It's going to take something that you got to muster up on the inside of you because you know the pain that is coming. But listen, the promise is worth the pain and I'll push through whatever I have to push through and the pain that I know is coming because I know that as I push and as I travail and I create an opening that the promise that God has given to me is getting ready to be birthed into my arms. Now I married a tough woman. I mean she was tough. Now when we got ready to have Morgan and I may be wrong on the times but none of them were over three hours of labor. Matter of fact, we got in there the one time and the doctor and the nurse said, you got to stop that or we're going to have a baby before the doctor gets here. And they said, well, what in the world? And she said, well, I'm a singer. And so I got muscles in my stomach and it allows me to push like other people can't push because I've been training. See, I've been serving the Lord all of my life and in serving the Lord, he was preparing me to push something through into an opening. She wasn't preparing to have a baby. She was serving the Lord and in serving the Lord, she had the strength that when it was time for a different avenue in her life, what she had been doing for the Lord was preparing her for the moment she was getting ready to have with the Lord. And you may be serving as an usher or out there in the parking lot team and you're saying I never did that and I never did this but listen while you're serving the Lord he's developing some strength inside of you he's developing some muscles in you that when it's time to push you're going to be right there and you're going to have the strength to endure the pain so that you can get to the promise that God has in your life you don't have to be a preacher to push through the pain you can just be a servant in God's house and you can endure anything to push an opening so that it can be birthed through can I tell you this? Southern Illinois, Syston, Missouri, Kentucky, Southern Indiana is right now, it's in the birth canal. There is a revival and the heavens are open over this region. It's right here. It's on the cusp of it. And all the church has got to do is put some muscle behind it and endure some pain and some hits from the enemy and some things that go on in our life. But say, I'm going to endure that pain. I'm going to create an opening so that Heron can receive Jesus. I'm going to push so that Marion can receive Jesus, I'm going to get involved and travail so that a nation can be born in a day. That all it takes is one church service and 3,000 people can come to know Christ. All it takes is one moment in a tent revival and 10,000 can be birthed and a nation is born in a day. Travail, that pain. Elijah, when James finished up the little text in James chapter 5, and I'm coming to a close, he said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It avails much. Then he says, Elijah was as a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent out rain and earth began to yield its crops. Now listen, when Elijah was in public and he was talking to Ahab, he was very concise in what he said. Get yourself up, it's getting ready to rain. But in private, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 42, but in private, 
he was not concise at all. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he put his head between his knees and he started getting down to business with God. He's like, we need a revival of rain in this nation. And I already told him I was real short with him, but Lord, I'm going to get down to business with you. We need to show him and show Ahab and show Jezebel that you're the God who answers by fire and you're the God who sends the rain. So Lord, I'm going to put my head down here between my knees because I need you to confirm what I have spoken and what I have prophesied to Ahab. I need you, Lord, to send the rain. And they go out there and he said, what did you see? He said, I seen a cloud the size of a man's hand. Now, most of us would say, oh, that's real little and that ain't much. I better get back down to praying. But when you see a cloud the size of a man's hand and you've been operating in faith, a hand is all you need. All you need is to see a glimmer of hope from God and you're saying that hand will do just fine because that hand is the hand of the Lord and that hand is unchanging. That hand has nail prints in it. I'll take that hand and I'll change this nation. I'll take that hand. It's the one who will baptize us in water and in the fire. When you have faith, that little cloud changes everything. But if you're looking for a tornado and a hurricane before you move, it'll be too late. All you need is a, something the size of God's hand and going to a travail. All you need to do to be effective in prayer is to be fervent and righteous. Fervent, continually, passionately praying. Righteous, right standing before God so you can go into the throne room boldly. Say, Lord, my family needs a miracle. And I told him a miracle is coming. I wrote it down. Miracle is coming. And then when you get in private and the miracle hasn't happened like you thought it would, why don't you put your head between your knees and push for an opening so that what is being birthed will actually be completely birthed and you won't have a stillborn. You won't abort it. Instead, you'll birth that thing through because you created an opening through your prayers. So I feel so strong, I felt it so strongly about this whole sermon. And right before I got ready to walk out to talk to the staff, just last minute little things, my email went off. And I just read the first word of the email and it said travail. Now they didn't know what I was going to preach today. But the Lord delivered a word about travail. And when I say church, it's time to pray. I'm not talking about the procedural prayer. I'm not talking about the pattern prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. No, I'm talking about pressing in and pushing. You ever heard the push prayer? Pray until something happens. I'm going to pray until I see that breakthrough. I'm going to pray until my son's off those drugs. I'm going to pray until that alcohol addiction is broken. I'm going to pray until they're no longer confused. I'm going to pray until they're a preacher. I'm going to pray until they're a missionary. I'm going to pray until they're a prophet. I'm going to pray until I see my breakthrough. I know the enemy is telling you to back up and back down, but Lord, increase our faith. We're going to the top of this mountain, and at the top of that mountain is our 
families, is our cities, is our region, is our state, and is our nation. And Lord, right here in Purpose House, we're going to pray until something happens. We're going to pray until our governor comes to know Jesus Christ. We're going to pray until our president bows his knee and repents of his sins and this nation turns from its wicked ways. Then he'll hear from heaven. Then he will heal our land. But you got to pray until something happens. So Lord, over this house, may our prayers be effective and may our prayers be fervent. May we be righteous and may we pray in faith. And Lord, may we speak with boldness that it's getting ready to rain. And the Holy Ghost is getting ready to rain down. You know, they tell me that almost every Spearfield church is now the first time in the history of America that the Spearfield church is the ones that are on the decline. I got news for them. That ain't so in Heron, Illinois. Because this is not by might. It's not by power, but it is by his spirit, saith the Lord. And this is a church that's going to take dominion and authority over this region and over this state. And we're going to pray until something happens. So I don't know what needs you have in your life. Normally we call our prayer teams. I'm going to have a few prayer teams because if you're sick, I want you to call upon the others. But if you need to pray, not to procedural prayer, but you need to pray. And this altar is open to you. You remember what he said? He said, when my house is a house of prayer, then their sacrifices will be accepted on the altar. So, Lord, here it is. I'm putting my family on the altar. And they're coming home. And now I'm going to get down to business to praying and connecting with God because that's getting ready to happen in my family. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can visit PurposeHouseChurch.org to find out more information about Purpose House Church. Be sure to join us right here next week.